Father, this evening we just come to you. We just want to say once again, we love you. We thank you for your mercy, Lord. Mercy, it's part of your love. Your mercy, because of your mercy, we are alive, we are well. Because of your mercy, some have gone home maybe. But all of us who are here, we just want to thank you. We just want to praise you for one more opportunity to serve you, Lord, this hour. Give us hearing ears, all of us, Lord. I pray your children are all at their posts, with their families, with the little ones, sitting and listening and studying. And have opened their hearts to the voice of the Holy Spirit. That each one will grow in grace and in the knowledge of Christ. And that we would not, even a lockdown will not stop us gathering together in this way. As your word tells us as we see that day approaching. We'll only gather more and more. And you have enabled us to gather twice a day, Lord, now for 27 days. So we believe you are allowing us through all this because you know that day is close. So speak, Father, tonight. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> Amen. So we've been, remember, we've been looking at the threes, different threes in the Bible and uh, connecting with eternity and our journey into eternity, children, youth, and fathers. <clears throat> Please remember, this is connected with overcoming. We are not studying salvation here. We are studying what is post-salvation. And remember, there are three stages the Bible describes a child, a young man, and a father. And one of the issues with a child is a child hates fighting. It loves fighting, different fighting, but spiritual fights a child doesn't like. It's easily offended. A child is very easily offended when it doesn't have its way. It is always discontent if it doesn't get what he or she wants. We are not talking about little children, we are talking about adult children. Okay? And it easily loses interest. That spirit of apathy comes. It is very easy for a child to accommodate and assimilate into the world. So, these things we are identifying over the days and these things the child man has to fight if he ever has to become a young man who overcomes the evil one. But first understand, like, you know, we have to understand before we fight a battle or get into something, we have to understand purpose. If you go with me to Exodus chapter 19, verse 5 and 6, the children of Israel, who were all babies, adult babies, brought them into the wilderness, and before the law is given, God makes a proclamation there. <clears throat> now therefore, if you will heed, indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me. Above all people, for all the earth is mine. He's saying all the people are mine. But if you obey my commandments, obey my voice, you will be really, really special. And then he defines purpose. You shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. 
these are the words which you shall speak. And you will see the same thing being repeated in a different format in First Peter chapter 2 and verse 9 in the New Covenant. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, its own special people. Okay? You see, purpose never changed. In the old covenant or in the new covenant, the purpose was this, that his people would be a people, a royal priesthood, a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. That's why we were looking at yesterday. If you don't understand purpose, then we don't fulfill purpose. And the primary duty of a priest is to make intercession. That's what he does. God's children enforce the power of the kingdom through prayer. That's how they bring the kingdom. So when Jesus was asked the question, teach us to pray, he immediately showed the purpose of prayer, the primary purpose of prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. That's the primary purpose of prayer, is to enforce the kingdom on earth. Okay? And for that, God has also, specifically you will see in the book of Ephesians, given five ministries, okay, five ministries, the the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and the teachers, the fivefold ministry, and the purpose of that ministry, you will see in Ephesians chapter 4, 12 and 13, 11 is the for the equipping of saints for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. The purpose of this fivefold ministry is that all the saints, okay, is not those who are designated as saints by the Catholic Church, all the entire body of Christ, everybody is called a saint. And these saints, though they come in as babies, everybody has to be taught and equipped for the work of ministry. Everybody is involved in ministry. But you will not understand you are in ministry until you understand your purpose, that you are a priest. You may be a plumber, you may be an IT specialist, you may be anything, but wherever you are, you exercise the ministry of a priest. You are a praying priest. And therefore, you always have open heavens wherever you go. And that affects the people that are around you. So don't forget but I will tell you the fundamental spiritual issue that happens with the church and because you see the patterns, the patterns of Israel is the pattern of the church too, though it should not be happening. If you turn with me to Exodus chapter 2 and verse 23 to 25, you will see what happens. Now it happened in the process of time, the king of Egypt died. Then the children of Israel groaned because of the bondage and they cried out and their cry came up to God because of the bondage. So God heard their groaning and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac and with Jacob. And God looked upon the children of Israel and he acknowledged them. See their entire cry is because of bondage. Egyptians are ruling over them. They have become slaves now. Life is very, very difficult. Okay, very, very difficult and they are crying. And you know, 80 years later, Moses will go over there. Okay, So the Pharaoh is a type of Satan. The bondage is a type of the bondage of 
sin, slavery of sin. The problem with that bondage was it's the same thing what God talks about sin. There is a slavery of sin that is connected with the consequences of sin and then there is the pleasure of sin. Okay, They were groaning under the consequences of being a slave but they liked the pleasure of slavery which is whatever the Egyptians gave them. They liked that. And that's the problem with a newborn Christian also. They wanted to escape the consequences of sin. That is what we call the penalty of sin. But they liked the pleasure of sin. That is the nature of the flesh. And always you will see, often you will see, much of the conversion that takes place is got to do with consequences of sin. And when the consequences are removed, they don't mind sin at all. When the consequences are removed, what is left? Only pleasures are left. So what happens is, once they are out of Egypt and Pharaoh is dead and the army is gone, suddenly they look back, Egypt is good. The struggles of slavery is a distant memory. But the flesh will remove, remember the good things, the leeks, the garlics, all that stuff you enjoyed in Egypt, your memory. And we will see all of our memories work that way. That is why Bible talks about genuine conversion as a repentance from dead works. All the works that lead to death. The good, the bad and the ugly. It is not that I was, I, I disliked the, the whiplashes, the hard work, the making of bricks. I have to dislike the leeks, the garlics, the fish and the meat too. But we choose to dislike one and retain the memory of the other and then we realize why, why we struggle in going forward. So in Numbers chapter 11 verses 4 to 6, you will see what happens when you have this split mind. Now the mixed multitude who were among them yielded to intense craving. Craving of what? For the things they had left behind in Egypt. Okay, so the children of Israel also wept again and said, who will give us meat to eat? Now they got food, they got everything, which is actually really, really healthy. Really healthy. They have food, they have water, manna from heaven, water from the rock. Everybody is very well taken care of. But we remember, the memory is going back. They're walking down memory lane. The fish we ate freely in Egypt, the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, the garlic. Now look at them, what they are saying. Now our whole being is dried up, which is not true. They're extremely healthy. But this is their mind. Whole being is dried up. There is nothing at all except this manna before our eyes. Now they are looking at manna. They are detesting the manna. Okay, detesting the manna. Now this is this is why the battle is has to be won or lost in your mind. If in your mind, because the manna is doing good to the body, but in your mind, if you dislike the word of God, dislike the word of God, then the word of God actually stops working for you. That's why scripture says in Thessalonians, the word of God works only in the lives of those who believe. 
And this is the issue. Okay, this is the issue. Even in this lockdown, the issue is, how do you, how are you dealing with the word of God? And you will see they had three kinds of leaders over there. The first leader, of course, was the weak one. Okay, we talk, we'll talk about the main leader at the end. Weak one. That is Aaron. The weak leader is the one who will give the people what they want. That is Aaron. What they want. Then you have uh, the second leadership. That is Korah, Datan and Abira. These are the arrogant ones. They're very arrogant. These are the committees that control the pastors in many, many churches. They're very arrogant. Okay, not all of them are arrogant, but basically this is sort of, I, my, my understanding, my understanding, it's like I cannot definitely prove it. My understanding about these 250 leaders led by these three, they were leaders of different tribes, but I believe they were the taskmasters in charge of Israel who were Jewish, who were Israelites directly reporting to the Pharaoh's authorities. So they had already exercised power over these people and they enjoyed it. What was the power they exercised? It was not literally, they were the immediate bosses who made the Israelites. So when Moses came into the picture, they lost that power. They lost that power. They lost that power. Okay, they were the slave masters. Okay, you will realize that. So you go back and read uh, Exodus after Moses goes over there. These leaders of Israel will come over there and Pharaoh will tell them, make bricks and they are the ones. So I believe these are the guys. So they are uh, slavish leaders. They like power, they like authority and they claim they are holy. But they do not have the interest of the people in heart at all. So you will see the problem is they are so hard-hearted and arrogant. It doesn't matter whatever God does, they still will rebel against authority. So that's the second group of leadership over there. First is weak, second is arrogant. And the third is the called out one, Moses. And God calls him out and puts him in leadership when he knows he's ready. And what is the criteria for God's leadership, a man? has to be humble. That's the leadership. That's the quality he looks. He does, he's not looking for a man who is well knowledgeable. That's not what he's looking for. That is all irrelevant. That's all secondary because God can teach only a humble man. God cannot teach a proud man. Okay, so all the leadership in the Bible, God called leadership, actually, you will see, he waits for a point when a man is humble enough. Then God calls him. Then he teaches him. To a humble man, he says, all you need is this rod. You can lead. Okay, you can lead them. So understand this, this, this issue. So the problem is, once we lose our appetite for manna, it's because our flesh is very much alive. And it is craving for other food. And that's what is happening. No, it's still craving. Lockdown is there, but we are craving. I'm not talking about the food we eat now. It's talking about our mind, okay, our mind. And by the way, all my dear people who are watching everywhere, we pastors haven't taken a Nazarite vow. Only thing, there are no barbers to cut our hair. Okay, we are not Nazarites. Okay. Uh, if it continues like this, I'll give half my head to Sammy and the other half to Peter. And we will see how it comes out. 
I don't want to give it to Roshan because I look at his hair, he will make it like that, okay? So, so please, that was to make you laugh, okay? So, as long as the flesh is alive, spiritual growth is going to be a daily struggle. Not a battle, it's a struggle. It's a chore. And we don't like it at all. So the problems of the journey was not so much the destination. It's not so much the destination. It's because of the flesh. And with spiritual leaders like Moses are seen more as enemies than as guides. And they prefer ritual to relationship. That's how the church also ended up, and Israel also ended up into ritualistic and leadership, and not a relationship with God. And the promises, if you look, of all the promises God made, look good until you hear about the giants and the fortified cities. You really mean we have to fight to possess this? You mean the promised life of Jesus Christ to possess it, you have to fight powers of darkness? Pull down strongholds. It's a daily battle. You hear that most people in the church, like Israel, tune off. They're not interested. But unlike Israel in the desert, because it was a physical separation, now, because it is spiritual, there is nothing to stop you from going back to Egypt. They were physically stopped there by from going back to Egypt. Okay? There was the... God made it very clear, not going back. But what is to stop anybody from going back now? Back to the world. There's nothing. That is why I said, unless we understand purpose... God talking about in Exodus 19.6, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So you will see there 19.6 and 7 and 8. Once God says that, they get very, like, you know, emotionally receive it. We need emotions. You shall be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. You speak this and Moses goes and speaks. Oh, Moses came and called for the elders of the people, laid before them all these words which the Lord and people answered together and said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. After that only the law is given. Please remember. Okay, God put it before them. Okay, this is it. Do you want to be all this? And they said, yes, we will do. Yes, we can. Okay, and then everything falls apart. Okay, everything falls apart. But that's why Jesus is very, very clear, absolutely tough and clear with the crowds that follow him. He said, if anyone wants me to be a disciple, he's over and over and reiterating this fact. This is no game. This is no child play. This may cost you your life. But on the other side, rewards unlimited. Eyes haven't seen or ears heard. But this side, this journey, this battle to which you are called may cost you everything, including your own very life. It may cost you everything. Okay, So please remember, when a young man 
child becomes a young man, a young man has counted the cost. As he's getting into this battle, he has counted the cost. Okay, so we are dealing with first the battles. Spiritual battles you have to face. But one rider I want to put over there, Ephesians 4.15. Because we are talking about truth as a battle. Because first we have to receive the truth of what God is saying. And when the truth comes in, people run. So we, we have this battle. Okay, Truth is a weapon. So truth is a weapon. We fight the powers of darkness. Yet truth is also something that we deal with the people to whom we relate. So there God says be very careful. Speaking the truth in love. It has to be guided in love. Another day we will look at how we handle this. But with the enemy, truth is a weapon. But truth is also something we need in our interpersonal relationship. There you cannot use truth like a sword the way you use it with the enemy. You have to use it where it is covered in love. Or it is motivated by love. Otherwise it will not work. It will be dangerous. Okay, so we have babies, we have youth, and we have fathers. One of the fundamental things is that babies drink milk. They cannot handle the word. They drink milk. They cannot handle the word. Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 3, 1 and 2. Quickly we'll go through so that we, all those who are listening, will know very well that, you know, you can be very excitable but be very careful. Babies can be very acceptable, can jump and dance in a worship service and then tune it off when the word comes. So please judge yourself. I could not speak to you as spiritual people, but as carnal, as to babes in Christ. Why? I fed you with milk and not with solid food. What is the, how do you know whether you are a child in Christ or a young man in Christ is what you eat. It's not how you worship. It's what you eat. If you cannot handle solid food, you're still a baby. You're still a baby. Okay? If you cannot handle the word of God. Second thing, the baby and the youth. Hebrews 5, verse 13 and 14. The baby is cannot be trained in righteousness. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness. Very unskilled. Because this word is the word of righteousness. What are you in this thing? That you may grow in righteousness. For he is a babe. Solid food belongs to those who are of full age. That is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. They have understood. So the Bible will say when Moses came of age, he said, I am no longer Pharaoh's daughter's son. That's the age. He understands the doctrine of righteousness. And he says, if I still call myself Pharaoh's daughter's son, then I am partaker of Egypt and the pleasures of sin. And he cuts it off and says, I would rather be a slave with the Israelites and be known as the Pharaoh's son. Okay? So understand, these are criteria that divide a babe from a young man. Second, 1 Corinthians 3, 3, they are controlled by the flesh. Okay, they are controlled. You are still carnal for where there is envy, strife, division. So whole list is there in Galatians. Whole list. If you are controlled by these things, you are still a baby. Okay. Romans 8, 8. The next thing, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But a child is not interested in pleasing God. A child is interested in pleasing self. The self-centered. 
carnal baby Christians. It doesn't matter how old they are. They may be 80, they may be 90. It is about them. It is not about the other. It's not about God or the neighbor. It's about pleasing themselves. So even if they do something for somebody else, they're actually doing it for themselves. So because otherwise, if they don't get complimented, they get very upset. And they will say, I'll never do it again. So they never did it for the other person. Okay, never did it for the other person. They did it for themselves. That's why Jesus was talking to the Pharisees. Everything they did was for themselves. They would stand in the street corners and make these long, lengthy prayers and all. You know, everything they were doing it for themselves. Okay, even their worship is for themselves. They have to be appreciated. After that, you have to come and tell them how great they were. So these are baby Christians. They can be actively involved in ministry, but everything they do, is for themselves. Understand that. They cannot please God. 8.13 The danger of that, I told you, the babies are in the greatest danger in the kingdom of God. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. Ultimately, you will die. And it can be anything, like we saw with Saul or Samson or any one of them, how they died. Pictures given. And the most, and if they don't die, they spiritually die, they don't die, but they manage to scrape in. We use the term, no, they made it by the skin of their teeth, though teeth doesn't have skin. Galatians 4, 1 and 2. What happens? They do not inherit. Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, does not differ at all from a slave, though he is master of all, but is under guardians and stewards. Meaning in eternity they will not rule, they will be ruled over. They will be ruled over because God says, because you did not have self-control, I have to put you under guardians there. You are supposed to rule, but you cannot rule. Okay, so understand this fundamental principles about this race. Why every child of God should get motivated and say, oh my gosh, I need to be very serious about this. One is that I could die because I slip and slip and slip and slip get out of the gate, into the world, and go into perdition. It's quite possible, so I need to push forward into a safe and secure place. Or, I just make it all of eternity. and lose everything that was mine. Though it was all his. Though he is positionally the son of the king, and is a master of all, yet he gets nothing. No? Like David is king. But he's over all his brothers. The brothers don't rule him. He rules over his brothers. Joseph is king. The brothers don't rule. They're just simple shepherds over there in Goshen, living under his security. That's all. Though yeah, they are his brothers. Okay, so please understand. So, we deal with truth again and we come back about how we use the weapons of our warfare. <clears throat> One of the things the devil does not want us to know is the truth. When I'm talking about the truth, I'm not talking about what you read in newspapers, but what the Bible tells about Christ. If you turn with me to Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 to 15, there are truths which we need to know that sets us free. You being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him. all those who have believed, repented, come to the genuine salvation, having forgiven you 
all trespass. That's the first thing you need to understand. Because of what you did and what you believe, you're forgiven of all your trespasses. Nothing. Even this evening I had a call from somebody crying. No? I said, no. Who told you? Spirit of conviction and spirit of condemnation are two different things. The Holy Spirit will only convict. The Holy Spirit will never condemn a child. Never condemn a child. But he'll convict. Okay. You are forgiven of all your trespasses. No? That is why God addresses even the children you know, who keep falling. Children, I write to you that you do not sin. But if you sin, you have an advocate. He's not your accuser. Your eldest brother is not your accuser. He is your advocate. He will stand up there and he will fight your case. So go to him. Go to him. Confess, repent, confess the blood of Jesus Christ and he will fight for you. So that is the that is the truth that has to set every child free so the child keeps going back until it gets the strength and overcomes and then another battle begins. Okay? So please remember. Why? Because sin brings guilt and condemnation. Guilt and condemnation. And once you are under guilt and condemnation, you cannot fight. Okay? You cannot fight. Understand that. He has forgiven you. Second thing you need to understand. The, the, the fact is that you can fight only on basis of truth. If truth is a weapon and you really have to fight the sin you are fighting, you have to fight it on the basis of truth that I'm a child of God. I have an advocate. I can go to him. I'm not, if I go to him, I will not get condemned. I will not get condemned. I am forgiven. I will be forgiven. Again, I can move forward. This truth is important. Truth is important. Okay? Otherwise, you will never go. And the devil will try to hide this truth from you, saying that you are finished. You are done. What you say in Telugu? Finished. Okay? Second is verse 14. Having wiped out the handwriting of the requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, he has taken it out of the way, having nailed in the cross. Which means, he has blotted out the law. The law is no longer the means for your righteousness. It's not the means of your righteousness. The smallest baby in Christ has already superseded the law. Remember he told, I'm not coming to cancel the law. Unless you exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees. Even the smallest child in Christ has already overcome, exceeded the righteousness of Christ because what is given to him is the righteousness of Christ. So he's already superseded the righteousness of the Pharisee. Okay? So the law is no longer the basis. It's no longer the basis. So don't even worry about the law. You're no longer judged by the law. Law is no longer the basis for your righteousness. So you are forgiven. The law is no longer the standard. So the law should not bring condemnation. Should not, because the law does not apply to you, because it's been nailed on the cross. But when we preach from the word of God, it should come as truth, which tells you, okay. Okay, truth and the law are different. With truth, always grace comes. With the law, you stand alone. Okay. And third, next verse. Having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public. What does that mean? The enemy has been 
defeated. He has not only been defeated, he has been disarmed. What does disarming means? Just imagine, all his armaments have been taken away. Imagine a soldier who was fighting, two soldiers are fighting and one uh, is knocked down. All his weapons are taken away. He has been disarmed. He has no weapons. And he doesn't want the church to know it. You know, when we were small, we used to play a game called bluff. Remember? Four of us used to sit, dad, mom, me and my sister used to play. And the whole game is on bluffing. Okay? In between the bluff, there will be something that is true. Three jacks. Okay? It will be one jack and two some. Because whoever finishes his card first is the winner. Okay? And the entire game was based on bluffing. And the biggest bluffer is the devil. He has been disarmed. That is why the only thing he can use is lies. To deceive you. And you get caught, get trapped. No weapon. He has nothing. His only weapon is lies. And his deception. And the antidote to lie is truth. So God saying he has been absolutely, totally, been not only been def- defeated, disarmed. The so smallest little saint who knows the truth makes him tremble. Because he knows he is powerless. And the smallest saint has been equipped with truth. The answer to his weapon called lie is truth. So God says, get battle ready. Fight this battle. Don't worry about the enemy. He can't do anything to you. What he will try to do is activate human, flesh and blood. Don't fight them. Don't fight them. Remember your race. Remember where you are going. Understand this guy is bluffing. And if fully the people in the church understood that the devil is a bluffer, no, he's a bluffer. Our battle would change. The way we look at life would be changed. So he tells humanity, the most smartest guy on earth also, he says, believer also, he says, please can you take off your three-piece suit and put on my six-piece armor. That will help you. The other thing the devil is not worried about, but he's worried about the armor. So we know Ephesians chapter 6, 13 to 17, put on your belt, that is truth. Breastplate is righteousness. I'm not getting into that. Uh, and some other day for all the new believers, I'll teach that. You put on your whole armor of God. You have your belt, which is your truth. Your breastplate, which is righteousness, righteousness of Christ. Your gospel shoes is your peace. And shield is your faith. Helmet of salvation is your hope. And the sword of the spirit is your word. Okay. Please remember, the sword of the Spirit also is defensive primarily in nature. Because the sword can go only this far. Okay, it's defensive. That is when the enemy comes very close. You use the sword. So it is more defensive in nature than offensive. Okay, the sword of the Spirit. So you have six-piece armor given over there. And uh, we... Look at them as armor, put on, every day put on, see that you are covered when you go to fight this battle, okay? You don't stand on your own righteousness, you could stand on the righteousness that comes by faith. See that you have put on, girded your loins with truth, You're standing on the truth of what God has said about you 
and the truth about God and see that you have peace. You are walking in peace. The gospel is the gospel of peace. You have peace with God and you have peace with man. And your helmet of salvation is very, very clear, firmly fixed in. Your hope is not will I be saved. No, your hope is glory. Your hope is glory. You're not fighting to get saved. You're fighting a battle for your crown. That is your hope of you. These things have been firmly fixed in. Hope of glory. And the sword of your spirit is you have your word, you have a word in your head, and you have the Holy Spirit alive. Okay, like now people who are listening is not listening to a recorded message. They are listening to a live message. Now today you miss it, tomorrow morning you wake up and listen. You are still listening to the same message, but you know deep inside it is not live. Okay, the sword of the spirit is something that is live. What you had put in inside the Holy Spirit is equipping you, bringing into your memory. That is the life, the living Rima word of God. Okay, so that is the six-piece armor. But let's get to verse 18. Now we are getting into real weaponry. This is the weapon it is actually talking about. When you are talking about praying, it is long distance. It is like the sling that he used. It's like the arrow that he used. It is like the spear, old terms you are talking about. Today it would be called artillery and rockets and now all those ICBMs and all because now you are, because what are you doing? Prayer is hitting realm too. Sword is when he is coming to you and tempting you. You say it is written. But prayer is something that's a whole paradigm shift altogether for the child. This is not this prayer wearing say, Father, I love you, please bless me, my wife, my two children, we four and no more. This is not what it is talking about. This is talking about something else. With all prayer and supplication in the spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. It is completely different. So we are talking about a young man. A baby who becomes a young man is somebody who has graduated from LKG to prayer at the young man's level. Your prayer life has changed. Without your prayer life changing, a baby can never become a young man. He cannot defeat the evil one. But this is your major weaponry. Okay? So scripture says, praying with all prayer. And supplication in the spirit. Remember, the Holy Spirit is intensely involved over there. We'll come on that in another day. Being watchful to this end. So this is what Jesus said. Watch and pray. So there is praying and there is watching. Both involved. Okay. Why is this important? Remember all the parables Jesus said. When men were sleeping, the enemy came. So you have to be watchful in prayer. You have to pray and you have to watch. You have to watch for it. You cannot just pray. Says you have to watch. And you have to continue watching. Watchful in with to this end with all perseverance. Okay? And supplication for all the saints. Why? Because you need to realize there are two levels, three levels a young man will pray. A young man who is involved in this battle. One, he will pray for all the saintly babies. Because they know they need a lot of prayer because they cannot handle this battle. Though they are not, they are unaware they are in battle. So you have to pray for them. Second, you have to pray for all your colleagues, your 
compatriots who are in the battle. And you have to pray for the fathers because they are in the forefront. So the young man understands the name that it's a supplication for all the saints. Okay, But he's watching. He's praying and watching, watching and praying. Remember when you use the term watchman, there are two kinds of watchmen in the Bible. Both are watchmen. One is set of people who are called to preach. The other is this huge set that is called to pray. So everybody technically is a watchman. Either you are called to preach, which is small. The second one is the people who are called to pray. Okay. If you turn with me to Isaiah chapter 62 and verse 6. Isaiah 62 verse 6. I have set watchmen on your walls of Jerusalem. They shall never hold their peace day or night. So the, the, the job of the watchman is day and night. You have to be watchful. If we are preachers, if we are preachers, our job is to be extremely watchful to watch every wind of doctrine that is coming. That's our job. We are not watchful so much in prayer. We are watchful every, because we know the babies get carried away by every new fashionable wind of doctrine. So when I get, like somebody called, said, I said, yesterday we saw your righteous anger as a pastor. I said, yes, I have to watch over the souls of my children. Okay, the problem is I don't know what they are watching and what they are listening, I do not know. So we have to always contend with these doctrines that are floating around, which takes babies away. And they are not focusing on the word of God. That is their shield. That is their truth. No. So this is, they shall never hold their peace day or night. You who make mention of the Lord, do not keep silent. So both kinds of watchmen are always studying and preaching or they are always in prayer. And day and night. They need to realize you cannot afford to go to sleep spiritually. It is dangerous. So there are watchmen are those who proclaim the word. Okay, It is truth versus lies. In Jeremiah chapter 6 and verse 17, again God uses that term. Okay, Jeremiah 6, 17. Also I set watchmen over you saying, listen to the sound of the trumpet. But they said, we will not listen. Our job was to blow the trumpet. But if the people do not listen, because of free will, but we blow the trumpet, they don't listen, the blood is on their heads. But we don't blow the trumpet and they fall, the, their blood is on our heads. So it's a, in so many ways as the end days come, it's a very thankless job. To get people to listen is very difficult. Okay? So the Bible talks about in, uh, you know, watchful in all perseverance. If you turn with successful watchmen. First Thessalonians chapter 5 verses 4 to 6. Okay, now you're coming to new covenant and flipping between. Now you brethren are not in darkness. So this day should not overtake you as a thief. That day should not overtake you. Why? You've been warned, you've been warned, you've been warned and you are prepared, you are knowing. You brethren are not in darkness, so this day, yeah. You are all sons of light and sons of the day and not of the night nor of darkness. Verse 6, therefore let us not sleep as others do. But let us watch and be sober for those who sleep, sleep at night. Now it's talking about spiritual reality. You are awake and you are sober. So you are not caught. You are a watchman. You are a watchman. You are watching either in prayer or in the word. You are a watchman. And those who are receiving it also have received the word and they have become watchful in prayer. You cannot say I have received the word and I am watchful if you have not become watchful in prayer. 
That means you haven't received the word. You only appreciated it. It has not become your life. If it becomes your life, that's why yesterday onwards I've been focusing on this. You have to pray. You you cannot appreciate. This is not for appreciation. This is life. This is life. So if the word of God has become real for you, it changes the dynamics of the way you pray. Otherwise, you're still in darkness. You're still in darkness. You're still in darkness. Because that's what happened in the two cases Jesus uses. That is Noah's and Lord's. Till the last moment, Noah's age was warned. And the ark was built right before them. Till the last moment. Yet, nobody took it seriously. Nobody took it seriously. They must have appreciated the structure too. Some of them must have got in, looked and came out also. But it didn't make any difference to their life because they were asleep. Spiritually, they were asleep. Same thing in the Lord's thing. Two angels come, they judge the entire young men and old men, all have been struck blind. Nothing changed. Nobody is asking a question, who are these young men who struck us blind? How come all of us are blind? Nobody is asking. They're all asleep. Okay, they're all asleep. Okay, these are the dangers we have to understand. Okay, because if you're a watchman, you're conscious, you're a watchman who's called to preach, blow the trumpet, you're absolutely on your the money with the word of God and every fashionable trend that is coming around. Why? To protect your sheep, that they don't swallow this. Because who are you trying to protect? You're protecting the babes. The problem with babes is that they are by every wind of doctrine, every wind of doctrine. So in Isaiah 52 and verse 8, it will talk about watchmen when they become successful at the end. 52 and verse 8. Your, yeah, your watchmen shall lift up their voices. With their voices they shall sing together, for they shall see eye to eye when the Lord brings back Zion. That is the ultimate reward of the watchmen. They shall see eye to eye. They are able to agree and see as God is bringing Zion down. They will say, thank you, Lord. My work was not in vain. People received it and Zion is coming. So please remember, right now we are watchmen on the spiritual Zion, the church, and who will give no peace day and night. No peace to God or to man. will constantly bombard heaven for revelations how to prepare, what they need to hear in times like this and constantly trouble the people. Don't go to sleep. Don't go to sleep. Don't go to sleep. It is dangerous. And as the day approaches, let's gather more and more and more and more and what? Stir each other up. Okay? And God has given a very wonderful time. No? So we have to understand these factors and the truth is what we have to do. The truth of God's word. So, another truth in this spiritual battle of our prayer, we have to understand is, in truth, we do not defeat Satan. Because Christ has already defeated him. We expose his defeat. In other words, like when we were playing cards, we call his bluff. Okay? Suddenly, after some time, you become a little, okay, you pass two rounds and you become and says, four spades. And then my father says, okay, let me see. And it, none of them is for spirit. So you have to pick everybody's card there. And now you get ended up with this huge bundle. Okay. So we have to call his, you have to call his bluff. Okay. Which is a nice game to play with your children. Okay. I enjoyed it. They will get it in two minutes. But I don't know whether it is a kosher game or anything. We'll use it bluff. We will not call it lies. 
Teaching, <laughs> teaching your child to lie. No, teaching your child to bluff. Okay. Okay. So, we are not fighting to defeat him. Because he's already defeated. We are calling his bluff. We are exposing his, that's one thing he hates, he doesn't want to know. We are exposing his defeat. Okay. So, in this battle, let me explain. In this battle, that is whether we are uh, in prayer, which is our primary weapon with which with we fight, we use three major ingredients or three major weapons. One we know from Jesus itself is the word of God. It is written. It is written. So you need to know it is written. Okay? And Holy Spirit has to bring into our remembrance what is written because that's when it becomes living. It's a living word of God. Second is uh, Mark 16, 17, the name of Jesus. The word of God. Second is Mark 16, 17, in my name they shall cast out demons. Remember we are fighting powers of darkness in my name. Okay? In my name. Whether it is infirmity caused by a demon or a demonic oppression, whatever it is, in my name. The word of God, the name of Jesus and Revelation 12:11, the blood of Jesus. Okay, three primary weapons any child of God can use. They overcame him by the blood of the lamb. This is talking about the devil, the the main guy, the ruler. If he has been overcome by the by the blood of Jesus, everybody else has. And this is what the overcomers use. They use the word of God, the name of God, and the blood of Jesus. These three, okay, these three. What you call it? Primary three weapons. Okay. Anybody is free to use. The father has no issues with it. You can use it. Then, like I said, the defeat of the enemy, okay, because it has to be spoken. It has to be spoken. You cannot think and the devil gets defeat. It has to be spoken. And when it comes to speaking part, there are three things are common to all. That is prayer. Praise or testimony. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. The testimony defeats. Testimony defeats. Okay? So when David was testifying what God did, testimony is a very powerful weapon. It's it's a testimony. Okay? The lion, the bear... Powers of darkness are moving back, and Saul's eye is opening. Okay, okay. So, but you have to be very careful. You are not testifying about yourself. You are testifying about Christ, what He did through you. Very, very careful to know that because the power is of Christ. Okay. So there is prayer, there is praise, Paul and Silas. There is praise, and there is testimony. And then the fourth one is preaching. But the first three, everybody is called to to pray, to praise, and testify. Everybody is called. Your basic testimony is for how you evangelize. That's your testimony. Okay, how you evangelize when people come. You t- testify to them what Christ did for you. Then they ask for prayer. And then you pray. And you always walk around in an attitude of praise. Okay, and they look at this is all because what happens, the powers of darkness get pushed back. And they realize people like to come and sit with you because they say, when we sit with you, we feel peace. We don't realize we have created an open area where the demonic has gone. They like your presence. 
They say we don't know why, but whenever we are with you, we feel at peace. The reason is it's got to do with our life. Okay, And you have to practically practice this. These things are things which you have to practice. You know, because that is what he's telling in Joshua. Every place the soul of your So you have to walk in peace. You have to exercise this and you know, others will understand. Others will, they don't know why, but they will realize, now you know what? I came so depressed, now I'm sitting over here, I'm feeling light. And they don't even realize it is you who pushed the powers of darkness away. Because you are carrying that with you. So these things you have to practice and practice and practice and practice. That's what they realized about uh, Peter. My God, wherever this man goes, there is so much of God with him. So they started putting the, putting the sick people where his shadow fell. And imagine it is evening and the street, the shadow goes like this. Suddenly people are flying over there. So the shadow falls evening. Shadow is falling and they're getting. Okay. It's why? Because he's, he's, he's walking under the anointing. And he's, he's walking because the powers of darkness are being pushed back. So you have to understand this as a reality, how it works, because we all need a testimony in the place, especially people who work in secular places. You need to know the power of a testimony. Three things. And the fourth thing is not common to everybody. <coughs> okay? It's those who have been called to preach. Because So these four things, remember, all these four comes from the mouth. You pray, you praise, you witness or testify, you preach. Okay, that's how it works. Four types it comes. These weapons have to be used that way. The word of God, the name of Jesus, or the blood of Jesus. In Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 18, though prayer is mentioned as a single item, it is not single there. Praying always with all prayer. So in that all prayer, there are all kinds of prayer. Okay, praying Always with all prayer. Now we'll go strictly but go by scripture. Okay, people may come up with many things, but I want to stick to scripture. And First Timothy chapter two, verse one gives you four aspects of prayer, four different kinds or aspects. I exhort first of all that supplications, prayers, intercessions and giving of thanks be made for all men. So all these four are different categories of prayer. Okay, we look at it another day, but not today. Supplications, prayers, intercessions and giving of thanks. All the children who are watching, babes or young men or fathers, please remember four ingredients, four kinds of prayers mentioned in scripture. Old Testament pattern. If you go to Psalm... Uh, uh, yeah, Psalm 141 and verse 2. Psalm, yeah. Let prayers be set before you as an incense. So, in the Old Testament, the incense that was burned was a symbol of prayer. A lifting of my hands as evening sacrifice. What was the incense they burned in the morning? It was practice. Particularly like by the writer of Hebrews will bring it in the most holy place. Like you have the table and the light and the, um, the incense was burned practically next to the entrance of the most holy place. That is how close praise was to God. Sorry, prayer was to God. Incense. Okay. If you turn to Revelation chapter 8, 3 and the Bible proves it. Okay, 8, 3. 
Another angel having a golden censer came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar which was before the throne. Okay, so he sees the incense and the prayers of the people are mixed and offered. So you need to understand what did it mean in the Old Testament. It was a prayer of the saints. Okay, so you will see four kinds of prayers, but it is symbolized as incense. Now we come to Exodus chapter 30 and 34. Okay, where the Bible says 30, 34, Exodus 30, 34. And the Lord said to Moses, take sweet spices. I don't know how you pronounce it. Stake, stakte, maybe that is. Uh, oni, onicha. Okay, I am no onika, onicha, not anika, but onich, onika. Galbanum and pure frankincense. Four ingredients to make incense. Four types of prayer Paul will reveal in Timoth. Four ingredients. Okay. And this has to be, and they shall be equal amounts of each. Equal, okay. As we grow in our prayer, we will find out how we equally have these four in our prayer. Okay. How our supplications, prayers, and intercession and giving of thanks are in equal measure. Okay. So this four is there. That's a revelation which Paul will get. We'll look at it another day, how each of these things mean and how it, how you apply the shadow and the substance. But please let me again tell you what is happening. And I believe is happening right now. The Lord is raising up an army of intercessors during this time. Nobody will see them until they are revealed on that day. But Victory in the last days will come because of them. Nami. Okay. Governments will never give credit for any of those people. Like they are talking about the CV, coronavirus in the European nations and all. If you look at populations of nations of Germany and France and all those places in America, the mortality rate, the lowest is in U.S., you're looking at the numbers because the population is 350, 400 million. The lowest is U.S. And I believe it's because of the praying church. They pushed it away. The government will never say. They will say our health care, our preparedness, all that the things they will say because they cannot give credit where it really belongs. But I believe for all said that because the U.K. has no praying churches. These European countries have all gone down the drain. Okay, now God has to raise intercessors over there. But U.S., for all said and done, U.S. has a very vibrant, unknown praying community. And always trampled and scoffed and all. So, you will always realize what is happening. I believe in this season, God is raising up an army of intercessors. And that's what I want our church also to become. An army of intercessors rising. And nobody will know them. Nobody will know them. And nobody should know them, because that is the nature of intercession. But victory will come because of them. Let us see patterns. I'll show you patterns in the Bible. Revelation 12, verses 7 to 11. 7 to 11. War broke out in heaven, and Michael and his angels fought with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought. Okay, it's an event that is going to happen. But they did not prevail. Nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. 
So the great dragon was cast out, the serpent of old called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth and his angels were cast out with him. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony and they did not love their lives to death. But if you look at something, it is interesting. Michael and his angels are fighting. So realm 3 came down to realm 2. But verse 11 says they overcame him. So realm 3 and realm 1 became together. God's angels and the praying saints came together, one in spirit, and Satan was thrown down. He was defeated. An army of intercessors here and an army of angels there comes together. And they are, the devil is defeated. And you have to see these patterns always. Every time there has been a breakthrough, spiritual breakthrough, it has become because God's men and women here, praying people, and they have come. Here is Daniel fasting and praying, and here is Michael and Gabriel all coming together. God says, that's the way I want it. I can do it without anybody, but I'm not going to do it without anybody. I'm not going to do it with anybody. That's why people are just wasting their times, mothers and all, wasting their times, Without realizing, yes, your babies are important, but if your baby is really important, then be like a Hannah. Be like a Hannah. Be a praying mother like Hannah. And that is why, if you look at Samuel's entire life, he was a praying man. Because his mother was a praying man, woman. And that's what he saw his entire five years of his life or whatever was a mother praying in everything she do. She saturated him with prayer. So he grew up and he became a praying man. He never lifted a sword. How did he bring Israel back to God? It is through prayer. Because that's all he saw his mother doing. And that's what I'm asking. You can do all, but you can't fool me. I have cooked enough, washed enough, done everything. All that is mechanical work. You don't need brains for any of that. You cooked for three, two weeks in a row. After that, you know it's all very simple. But you can pray through it all. And your child has to see the mother praying and praising and praying and praising. And they will grow up saturated. A generation will arise. In the meantime, you are becoming an army of intercessors around the world. There is no middle line. There is no time for it. There is no time for it. There is no middle line. The intercessors have to arise. There is no time to joke anymore. And God has locked the church in. People think the world, no. And God is doing his work. Everybody who has heard, understood. Okay? This is God's praying army. is rising up. <clears throat> Another point to note, if you turn with me to Matthew 18, you are going in this tangent of connected with prayer, okay? Matthew 18, 18 to 20. Earlier he had given this to Peter, specifically talking to Peter, and uh, now he's telling it to the whole church. Assuredly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you lose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Okay? Again I say to you, if two of of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. You have to read, this is where, this is where context becomes important. You have to read them, this is in conjunction what God is saying. Unbelievable promise made to the church. But he brings it down to two. two. It doesn't even say a group, a bunch of people or anything. This is the authority given to the church. 
Okay, and a church, quorum is two. Three is big, but quorum is two. If two of you. Two or three are gathered together in my name. I'm there. Church is already functioning. Two or three. As a church. Otherwise, you're an individual who's interceding. That's a different. We are talking in the format of a church. And there it says, if you bind, you bind, you agree. Now, please remember what God is talking about. This is not mental agreement. The actual Greek word used over there is from where we get the word symphony. It is symphony. That's from where you get symphony. In a symphony, like a musical orchestra, Peter may be playing the piano. Right? Somebody else may be playing the guitar. Then the poor fellow, I always sympathize him who plays what you call the bass guitar. I've never figured out what bass guitar is because I'm not musically inclined at all. <laughs> okay? Okay. Raj is the part. Okay? Because you'll always see them doing it. But he is also playing his part. We don't understand it. If he stops, they all look at him. I don't know why they're looking at him because I never understood what bass guitar is. Okay? So all these people are there and what is happening? There is a conductor. And the conductor and the whole, they're all doing different things. But it is a symphony. It's a symphony. We will be doing different things in this world. But God says, once you understand, understood me, and are coming together, what I told you of growing together in, and you have become a symphony, things starts happening. It's not mental agreement. It's not mental agreement. It is a church that has become a symphony. Church that has become a symphony. And the problem is it's very difficult to get a symphony. It's not easy. It is not easy. If you want a symphony, they have to practice together. That's the only possible. See, the first century church, they were together seven days a week. They became a symphony. But here we are not. We are not. I mean, we can be if you want. Because that's the autonomy God has given us. But it is a choice each one has to make. Are we? Are we? Okay. It is not mental and Please understand. This is spiritual harmony. Pulling in one direction. Everybody. And that is God's army. The rest is just a gathering. The rest is just a gathering. That's God's army. And it will be God's last day's army. And the pictures are all there in the Old Testament. Remember Gideon's army. 32,000 gathered. By the time God finished with them, only 300 was left. But the 300 was a harmony. It was a symphony. They were harmonized under one conductor called Gideon. And what comes out is an unbelievable spiritual victory. For them physical, but incredible. God doesn't need numbers. 300 people brought forth an incredible victory because they were harmonized into one unit. One unit. And there was only one conductor there. His name was Gideon. Okay. God spoke to him. Step by step took him. And he took this. First when he called, so many came. And God used different, different tests and says, you know what? This is just a gathering. This cannot be made to an army. So let them go. Just say all who are afraid go and everybody left. Okay. Then he says, take them to the water, divide them by the word. Once again, let the word be very difficult. So Jesus preached tougher and tougher and be disciples started. He said, too many. With this, nothing can happen. 
too many people are gathering. They are interested with power ministry. I know why there is. He raised the volume and all the 72 left. Only 12 are left. Yes, do you also want to go? And Peter gave the answer. Where can we go? You alone have the words of life. So he says, okay, with you I can start. I can harmonize you. I can make a symphony out of you because you are here for the right purpose. You know I have the words of life. One crook was there, but he got out. Okay, so that is where God begins. And after 40 days of ascension and teaching, he still could get only 120, but he said, that's enough. That's enough. We don't need numbers in this battle because this is not a physical battle. Physical battle, you need numbers. Spiritual, this thing, God is not looking for numbers. God is looking to see who can he harmonize. Who can he get together with the word and the spirit, okay? Because remember, that is a central thing. The word of God talks about harmony or unity in two ways. First in Ephesians 4.3 and then in Ephesians 4.30. Two ways, he says, about unity that comes. And both are important. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Okay, it is the unity of the spirit. It is not the unity of flesh. It is not the unity of the soul. We are not soulmates. We are spirit mates. We are not soulmates. We can agree on an idea and be completely different in the spirit. Okay? That's not the key. The thing is, we are one in the spirit. And that's important. And you can be one in the spirit only when you have under, you allowed the, the leadership of the Holy Spirit. Because everyone is being led by the Holy Spirit now. And the Holy Spirit, when he speaks to you, he will say, okay, you listen, you listen, listen, you realize suddenly there is no problems. So on the day of Pentecost, by the time 10 days are over, 120 has become into one unit and Peter steps forward and speaks for all. Nobody has any issues. Earlier they were talking about right hand, left hand, everything is gone. One unit has become, one man is speaking. Okay, years later, 14 years later, when Paul comes to Jerusalem and they have this whole discussion about law and Gentiles and everything, after everything is over, James steps forward and speaks. Everybody agrees with his view. They have become one unit because the unity, Holy Spirit has made them into one unit. Okay, and that is the key. That is the key. And God only recognizes that. He doesn't recognize. And he says, in the bond of peace. Peace with God and peace with man. Nobody has got any ego issues over here. Because you cannot have unity with ego. There is no ego there. That is why the symbol is given over there. Gideon's 300. What do they have? Empty earthen pots. Empty. And a torch inside. The torch represents the glory of Christ. The power of Christ. The treasure. And what are they all? Earthen vessels. Because there is no ego. Flesh is dead. And what happens if God has to come out and when you break the pots? You are not only earthen pot, you are a broken vessel. And the enemy is defeated. So that is how God brings forth. And everybody who despises that message of brokenness will leave. And we pray for them. We pray for them. Sad. Sad. But God said, I cannot use you. I can only use earthen vessels. Vessels who know the treasure is he and not you. The power is God's and not you. Two who are willing to be broken. The more broken, the more the light will show. The less broken, you will show. What a nice pot, you will say. But it's not about the pot. This is about Christ. No, it's about Christ. This is where we have to look at what and where God is taking his people as a church. And what happens is that, no, uh, <laughs> when it comes to this thing, there's only one thing God says. God says, humble thyself. I mean, George from 
Franz asked his questions. Papu, he said, you said uh, in one of the messages recent, like, no? God doesn't break anybody's spirit. He doesn't want, he doesn't break anybody's spirit. But he says, yet scripture says, a broken spirit is what he likes. I said, a broken spirit is not broken by God. He never says, I will humble you. Never says anybody. He says, humble thyself. Humble thyself. How did you become a broken spirit? Because you have humbled. He creates situations or situations comes and through it you have learned to humble yourself and humble yourself and humble yourself. And he never breaks anybody's spirit. He never does that. Never does that. The scripture says Jesus humbled himself. God doesn't. But you should not even make a mistake. I remember Derek Prince saying, don't even make a mistake of saying, uh, Lord, humble me. He said, he will answer your prayer in the way you never wanted. He will suddenly you'll realize you're in the most humiliating situation and say, Lord, what? He said, well, you prayed, humble yourself. Wow, the way I will, I can humble you, humiliate you in public. You don't want that. So don't pray that. Just humble yourself. Humble yourself, okay? That's why you need to realize. If You see, if you don't humble yourself, the stubborn will be suddenly broken. And he's not breaking you for a good use. You're just being broken and cast apart. So you have over there, endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. That's the one thing, the unity of the spirit. Second, Ephesians 4.13. We all come to the unity of faith. Two things, spirit and word, basically. Spirit and word, unity of faith. And the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So the Bible is talking about two unities. One is by the spirit and the other is by the word and both work together hand in hand. Our problem is, it is impossible unless you choose to voluntarily do that. Let us talk about unity of faith. Faith comes from hearing from thee. So God has given you, primarily, if you look into our church, everybody has been given the same word and two preachers. But you don't know what people are listening to. Some is hearing to Jesus calls, some is hearing to Mary falls. We don't know what they are listening to. No, honestly. Everybody is listening to everything. Everything under the sky they are listening. Where is the unity of faith going to come? You tell me, how is it going to come? How is God going to work a unity of faith? How is God going to work? It is impossible. What do you, how is, how is God going to bring a unity of faith comes from hearing and hearing the word of God? Okay? The people who are listening to us will listen to Joseph Prince also. And these, we are like chalk and cheese. They will also listen to joy lost. Here we will constantly praise, let a woman come under authority, they will listen to Joyce Mayer. How is the unity of faith going to come? It's not going to come. So God is working within the church, and separating constantly. That's the second group. The first group is fearful. The second group is not fearful. They are not fearful. They are quite courageous. But the problem is they have to be divided at the water. That is the word of God. And he divides them there. Divides them there. Okay. So we have to look at this and understand what unity means. 
Unity means. Because you have to very clearly, a church was formed in the book of Acts after the day of Pentecost because they steadfastly gathered for the apostles' doctrine. There's only one doctrine in the Bible. It's the apostles' doctrine. There's no other doctrine. There is no other doctrine. And if you are not coming together for the apostles' doctrine and constantly working and reworking to get that correct into place and contending for that, there is no unity of faith going to come. It's all false unity. All fake unity. I love you. How are you, brother? God bless you, brother. That is what? Okay, that's good. It's a community living. Church is also a community. But that's not what God is talking about. God is talking about something bigger, what he does in every generation. He has done it. Every generation. Israel's history has done it in every... He always had a remnant. That's where the principle of remnant comes in. In church history, every generation there was a revival that broke. You go track it down, you will see there was one group that came together and they became one. And God used them. And the church experienced a revival. Once that went in, he waited. God is willing to wait. He has no issues with any of those things. Okay? So as we grow in this, we too have to learn to use the weapons of our warfare. God has given. And prayer is the, what is the medium through which we fight. Prayer is the primary medium through which you fight. And we need to know the weapons of our warfare. In Second Corinthians chapter 10, verses 4 and 5, okay, because in prayer also, in your proclamation, your prayer, your preaching, your testimony, all these things are happening, but primarily we are looking at prayer. For the weapons of a warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty, but they are mighty only in God. For the pulling down of strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God bringing every thought into the captivity to the obedience of Christ. That's what I said. The battle is won or lost here. Won or lost here. There it was physical. Here it is either won or lost here. The battle rages here because the world is full of ideas. The church has been infiltrated with every wind of doctrine and you have to fight it over here. So scripture talks, it is mighty in God. For what? Pulling down strongholds and casting down arguments and every, what is an argument? That's something that raises itself above the knowledge of God. That's an argument. We turn to Numbers chapter 13 and verse 28. This is the spies coming back and this thing. And what did the final? Nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land are strong. The cities are fortified, very large. Moreover, we saw the dissonance of Anak. What is that? Giants. You know what it is? The people of the land are strong. Arguments. There are giants there, high thing. And they are fortified cities, strongholds. Three things. The pattern in the Old Testament that kept them out. Keep them out. It's an argument. It's a lofty thing. And there is stronghold. Fortified cities. People are strong. Moreover, there are what? Giants also there. And we have to discern and learn to battle these things. Because these things are established in the mind. Once a stronghold is established, it's a different battle altogether. Okay? So please remember, we are fighting at two levels. Two levels we are fighting. One, we are fighting at the level with the second realm. 
second level. Two, we are fighting at the first level because it's an entire set of people who got eyes are blinded or another category whose veil is over their eyes or under the law or third category who are babies in the church. So battle is there and here. We are fighting at two levels. We are not fighting at one level. We are fighting at two levels. That's why he given us the power to bind and to release and lose. So two levels we are fighting. Please understand that. And how do we fight this battle? The same way, with the mouth. This is how we fight it out. Revelation 19 verse 15, even the final picture is given that way. How does it say? Out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it you should strike the nations. Okay? And we'll see after that his name is Word of God. Okay? That's how you fight. You fight it with the words. You pray or preach. It's no other way. Okay? Now if you come to Psalm 8 and verse 1 and 2. Psalm 8 verses 1 and 2. O Lord our God, how excellent is your name in all the earth who has set your glory above the heavens. Already there are three realms over there. First line itself, earth and two heavens are already there. Okay, Out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants you have ordained strength. Even the smallest one in the kingdom of God has power over the enemy if they know it. They have it. Because of your enemies that you may silence the enemy and the avenger. Even if a child were to use the blood of Jesus or the name of Jesus or the word of God, it has power. It has power. Because how we teach our children, we have to teach our little ones when they are little how to pray, how to use the name of Jesus and how to speak the word of God. When they are going through something, how to ask God, how to ask God, how to pray. We have to teach them simple formula according to their age, three things, word of God, Name of Jesus and the blood of Jesus. Because you have ordained what? Strength. Out of the mouth of babes and nursing. If you come to Matthew chapter 21, when Jesus, in this, this is when he comes to, to the temple and the Pharisees are very upset because the children are all running around. 21 verses 15 to 16. Okay? 15 to 16. When the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did and the children crying out in the temple saying, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. Who? The children. They said to him, do you hear what these are saying? Jesus said to them, yes, have you never heard? Out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants, you have perfected what? Praise. What was there? Strength. What is here? Praise. He says, that is how it becomes. Praise and prayer will become together. Your strength will become your praise. Your praise will become your strength. Okay? He says, even little children. Little children. And they can actually pray well because they have no, no, no guile in their hearts. And they believe fast. It's only when they grow and all the doubt is put into it. So Jesus is talking about perfected praise. And it has, it has strong, it silences his enemies. The mouth is shut. Okay? So we see the principle in Proverbs chapter 18 and verse 21, 18-21. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. What is it talking about? Death is one enemy of death. Fellow is there who comes with death. And God is a God of life. And he says, it's in your tongue. What are you going to do about it? But what happens is, 
people are dying just like in the days of Saul, sitting and dying. Let us look at an old covenant picture. First Samuel chapter 13, 22 and then 14, 2. So it came on the day of the battle that there was neither sword nor spear found in the hand of any of the people who were with Saul and Jonathan. But they were found with Saul and Jonathan, his son. The entire camp of Israel, two swords. One is with Jonathan, one is with Saul. That's all. The day of battle, nobody has the word of God. The hour of battle has come over here, nobody has the word of God. When the enemy comes, you cannot throw milk at him. You have to throw meat at him. You know, Nobody has any word. If a baby throws some milk, God will understand. Came in yesterday, I will. You've been there for 50 years in the church and you're still sprinkling milk. It's not going to work. And I'm not going to let you work good. Then I am condoning bad behavior. Okay, we don't do that with our own children. Condoning, no? So we need to understand what's happening over there. They were found with Saul and Jesus. No sword, no spear. No, nothing. You have to look at it spiritual. They have no word life, no prayer life. Neither word life nor prayer life. They have nothing. And they are surrounded by their enemies. 14.2 Saul was sitting in the outskirts of Gibeah under a pomegranate tree which is in Migron. And the people who were with him were about 600 men. Nothing. One fellow sitting over there with 600 men surrounded by the enemy. The enemy has hemmed them in. Nothing they are able to do. That is when we realize Jonathan breaks off. Now let's read from 13 to 15. One man rose. Okay. Jonathan climbed, we know this, this thing, you know? Jonathan comes, acts with, with a, a, a word, faith arising. God can bring out this thing with many or few. That's how he starts. Jonathan climbed up on his hands and knees with his armor bearer after him. And they fell before Jonathan. And as he came after him, his armor bearer killed him. You know, this is, this is what I believe what happened. Okay. Remember, Jonathan has only one sword. Amamera doesn't have a sword. You have to remember, there are only two swords. Amamera doesn't have a sword. Jonathan has no sword. As Jonathan has a sword, Amamera has no sword. This is how I think, okay? Amamera is behind him. He is, the Philistines are coming. He kills one. As he falls, the Amamera takes his sword. Okay? He disarmed him. Taken his sword. Now they both have swords. Now they both have swords and the fight is going on. They fell before Jonathan and as he came after him, his armor bearer killed them. Then the first slaughter which Jonathan and his armor bearer was about 20 men within about half an acre of land. And the Bible says there was a trembling in the camp, in the field, among all the people, the garrison and the raiders also trembled and the earth quaked. Where did the earth quake? Because Ralam 3 got involved. You're just waiting for somebody. Like when Paul and Cyrus praised the earthquake, God is just waiting for somebody to show, look, I trust you, I believe you. You are with me. You are not against me. God is just waiting. And the earthquake, it was a very great trembling. Okay? And that's how it started. The problem is it only works with faith. Okay, it works with faith. And if you come to verse 20, what will you see? Then Saul and the people who were with him assembled and they went to battle and indeed every man's sword was against his neighbor and there was great confusion. What is happening? Philistines are cutting each other out. Remember when Saul and his people run over, nobody has swords. But what they're fighting is Philistine is killing Philistine. 
Are you getting the picture of what God is trying to say? God says, if the church had really understood how the kingdom of God works, instead of everybody talking nonsense, if the church had risen up and been interceding, you know what would have happened in the world? The communists would have killed the socialists. The socialists would have killed the feminists. The feminists would have been fighting the humanists. They would have been fighting among themselves while you are taking the souls of the people. That's what would have happened. Because these are all ideas, right? He would have created so much confusion in the ranks of the enemy. The communist and the socialist is fighting. The humanist and the feminist is mending. The gay lobby and the transgender lobby is fighting. They are all fighting among them. He said, while they are fighting, you just go claim the souls of the people and bring them into my kingdom. That's what you should have done. Instead, what are you doing? Oh, we have no argument with humanists. We don't know what to do with the communists. We can't do anything. Let's have our little service and go home. That is what happened. And they have taken over the schools, the colleges, the universities, everything they have taken over. Now we are sitting and worrying what will happen to our little children. He says, I have, that's why I shut them all in. Now pray now that my next generation comes out. This is what happens. Things happen only by prayer. There is nothing else. On the strength of prayer, the preaching goes. God doesn't need too many people to preach. Poor Elijah and all had to do both, pray and preach, pray and preach. Pray and preach. Because there's nobody to pray. There's nobody to pray. That man has to pray and preach. But God says, you know what? If the church woke up and they really, really, really prayed. That is what we have to see. The other side of spiritual reality. This is a spiritual battle. And this is not going to work. Our Father who art in heaven and Amen. And people all go home. What is going to happen? You didn't believe in what you prayed. That prayer, if you believed, was powerful. That also you haven't prayed because you become so familiar with that prayer. You fought with your wife and comes and sits there in the church and he says, forgive your neighbor as yourself. And God is sitting there and saying, what is happening with my church? Do they understand the power of prayer? And his disciples understood the power of prayer. That's why they asked Jesus, teach us to pray. So God is saying, will you will you wake up during this time and be serious? Instead of wandering around in 1500, first you have to ask yourself, which church do you belong to? First you have to make up your mind. Do I belong here or am I a wanderer forever? You have to make up your mind. Do I belong to this church? Yes, if I belong to these churches, then that's fine. I'm going to listen to that message. That's enough. I'm not going to listen to anything else. I've checked this church out. I've been there all these years. The doctrine is clear. It's never changed. I trust that. Whichever church you belong to, if you're very clear about the doctrine, stay there. And then start praying. And then find out God will lead you to the ones who are praying in that church. And do your job quietly. You don't have to do anything. Pray and lift up the hands of the preachers of that church. And God will do the work. And God will make you into an intercessor. God will make you an intercessor. It's as simple as that. It's as simple as that. First you have to check out doctrine. The doctrine is life. You cannot go wrong on doctrine. You have to be very, very sure about doctrine. Once you are sure about the doctrine, then that's it. Your search is over. Search is over. Listen to what is being taught. Focus on that. Do your homework. But start praying. Because if you don't start praying, you don't know what is happening. Let's turn to a picture in Revelation chapter 16 and verse 13. 16 and verse 13. I saw three unclean spirits like frogs coming out of the mouth of the dragon, 
out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet. Where is it coming out? Coming out of the mouth. Three frogs. Three frogs. This is the trinity. This is the unholy trinity. The dragon, the beast and the false prophet. They are the, the mimicking the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. Out of all their mouths, what comes? One clean frog comes. The frog comes out. Okay. Now let us go to the frog episode in Exodus chapter 8. Chapter 8, 6 to 10. Okay, we'll read from 6. About the frog, you know. Aaron stretched out his hand over the waters of Egypt and the frogs came up and covered the land of Egypt. And the magicians did so with their enchantments and brought out frogs on the land of Egypt. They could do it, but they couldn't take it out. They could only bring. Okay, let's see what happens. The Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron and said, Entreat the Lord that he may take away the frogs from me and from my people and let the people go that they may sacrifice to the Lord. Moses said to the Pharaoh, he gave an option. Given. Accept the honor of saying, when shall I intercede for you, for your servants and for your people to destroy the frogs from you and your houses, that they may remain in the river only? So he said, tomorrow. You know, we have heard much about it, right? Okay. The question is, why is Pharaoh controlled by realm 2 to allow the frogs to stay the night? Have you noticed frogs? They croak only in night. And they can croak for hours and hours and hours together at night. They don't croak at daytime. You don't hear frogs at daytime. But right now when I'm coming outside my bathroom, I heard the frog at night. There's a big fat fellow over there. At night they start. And when it's rainy season, they can go on through the night. Do you know why? you know what God is saying? Do you know what is happening in the hours of darkness? Do you know what is happening? They are praying and chanting and doing their witchcraft non-stop. And what are you, my people doing? Sleeping. Even if it is miserable for them, the powers are controlling them, which will say, allow them to stay one more night. And God is teaching us. Out of the mouth of the dragon, the beast, and the prophet, what came out, false prophet, was the frog. And the powers of darkness are working day and night. That is why in Ephesians 6 and verse 18, remember, watch and what being watchful to this end with all perseverance. You have to persevere in your watch. When do you have to actually watch? When it is dark. When you are sleeping. That is when the powers of darkness come. You have to be watchful. Turn to Isaiah 56 and verse 10. 56 and verse 10. His watchmen are blind. They are all ignorant. They are all dumb dogs. They cannot bark. Why cannot they bark? Because they are sleeping. Lying down. Loving to slumber. Do you understand what happens to shepherds? When shepherds are spiritually asleep to the reality of what is happening, they don't bark. 
They make nice sounds. And we'll say, nice puppy. Nice, my pastor is so nice. He's always so gentle with us, no, so nice. He's just a puppy who doesn't bark. You know what God says? He cannot bark. Because he's spiritually asleep. Lying down, loving to slumber. And what is happening is shepherds have to be very watchful, especially in the last days. Because you will have every kind of doctrine that will come. Every kind of doctrine that will float around, that will take people to hell. It will cause people to fall away from the faith. And God says, are you watchful? Are shepherds, are shepherds watchful? And what about the people? Are they watchful in prayer? People watchful in prayer? Are you just praying? If you listen to people praying, their prayer is the same. I'm talking about intercessors. They call themselves intercessors. It's the same prayer. They're not hearing anything. They're just praying. But intercessors hear. Because shepherds are people who have to give an account to God. Account to God. They're not giving an account to man. They have to give an account to God. Look at Paul in Ephesians, uh, sorry, Acts chapter 20. 26 to 27. 26 to 27. Therefore I testify to you this day, I am innocent of the blood of man. All men. Why? I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. I gave you the good, bad and the ugly, the whole counsel of God. I am innocent. He doesn't know how many of them have received it. And we read from Revelation, you know they didn't receive it. They forgot it. They didn't take heed. Right? And then verse 28 to 31. Therefore take heed to yourself and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. He's giving a commitment to the next level of leadership. Reason? For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. He says, so far, why haven't they come? Because I kept them out. Once I am gone here, they will come. Not only that, among yourself men will rise up. Why haven't they come up? Because I've been standing there and took them all out. Out. No doctrine here. I'm going to guard this with my life. You're not going to bring anything that doesn't agree with the word of God. That's what he's talking about. Others will come and from among yourself they will arise. Speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after themselves. Therefore, watch. Shepherds are watchmen. They watch over the souls of the people and they're very, very careful about this, the doctrine they preach. They may be a little harsh on that side, but it's better to err on the side of safety and not to be lax. Watch. Remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day. He taught, we are talking about 27 days. He's talking about night and day every, he said I did not sleep. Basically I was never spiritually asleep. I was there teaching you night and day, depending. You came at night, I taught you. Came at day, I taught you. But I taught you three days, night and day. Now it's time for me to leave and I'm leaving. And he says, I see this coming. I see this coming. This is how people in the first century took their job, how serious they were watching over the souls of people. But you need to understand from our point of view, 
वी आर ओनली अकाउंटेबल फॉर वॉट वी फीड यू नॉट वॉट यू ईट वी आर अकाउंटेबल फॉर वॉट वी फीड यू एंड टू दिस थिंग नो एवरी दैट्स वाई वी गो फर्स्ट थिंग आई फिनिश हाफ द मैसेज ऑफ वॉट आई प्रीच लास्ट नाइट आई हर्ड टिल ट्वेल्व थर्टी इन द मॉर्निंग नाइट अर्ली मॉर्निंग एंड देन द अदर हाफ आई फिनिश लिसनिंग वाई वी आर वेरी वॉचफुल टू सी लॉर्ड वी हैव इन गॉन रॉन्ग गॉन रॉन्ग cannot afford to go wrong and i'll tell you where i went wrong it was a mistake i said the titus has only one chapter i was talking about philemon it has three chapters okay i was not i was thinking about philemon and i said hey, titus has what did i say has one chapter somebody who doesn't read the bible will think titus has only one chapter no it has more than one okay so we are very careful we are very very careful about it but we can be only careful about what we feed you we don't know what you eat and there have to be watchmen and watch women mostly women in prayer because the powers of iniquity and darkness are crocking through the night that's why i never disturb my wife ask her she wakes up at 8 today she woke up only 8:30 because every night from 12 to 3 she is in prayer the church doesn't know that she is praying every day till 3 in the morning then only she goes to sleep Is it church now? She's praying. Today morning also. Only woke up. I was waiting. I said, okay, we'll not disturb her. You know, she was praying. Because that's the hours. 12 to 3. Those are the hours of darkness. That's when you know all the frogs are croaking. And we need more and more. I'll, I'll work it out in the coming. After this is over, I'll work it out from different sides of time. where i'll have them praying for us and we will pray for them their night we will pray our night you pray we work it out so that you don't physically wear out but we need people up who are set apart to pray set apart to pray we need people who are set apart for the kingdom of god know this things about but we are there praying upholding our generation that will come through so we saw four aspects of prayer but we look at it another time so the bible let me go bible also just to understand about prayer so that we will only look at one of it as i close maybe another 15 20 minutes <laughs> the bible technically talks about six kinds of people who pray and the seventh one of course is jesus christ six kinds of people who pray and they are not the same psalm 66 and verse 18 66 and verse 18 If I regard iniquity in my heart the Lord will not hear. Who is this? This is the sinner who prays. This is not the sinner's prayer. This is the sinner who prays, but God will not hear him. There are millions of sinners who pray. But please know, the sinner who prays and the sinner's prayer are not the same. if a sinner prays without asking forgiveness for his sin god does not hear him so the first kind of praying i believe that's a large number in the world because people all pray but no remorse no repentance nothing and the first set of people god says is no sinner who prays without dealing with his sin going to god 
repenting, forgiveness, fighting it. God is not going to listen to his prayer because that is scripture. Not one place, many places. I'm just giving you. The first set of people who pray are sinners who pray. And God says, I don't hear your prayer. Second set is, we know in Luke chapter 18 and verse 11. This is the Pharisee who prays, the legalist. He prays. He has to pray because he's under the law. And he's very happy when he prays because under the law he prayed. I did my daily devotions. He's very happy. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. The problem is he's praying with himself. He's not praying with God or to God. The problem with the legalist is he's not worried whether God heard his prayer or not. He's very happy with his prayer. He's very happy with his prayer. That's the problem with the legalist. He will pray, definitely will pray. But he's very happy with his prayer. He is praying thus with himself. And thus he prays. And all his praise is about how great he is. Not how great God is, but how great he is. And how he has kept the law. So that is the sinner who prays. The legalist or the Pharisee who prays. Okay? He's a, he's a legalist. Well, the most right, he is going to God based on his own righteousness. He's not going to God in mercy. Listen to the most, one of the most, the pro, not one of the most, the most righteous man of his generation. And look, listen to what he says in Daniel chapter 9 and verse 18. And God calls him one of the three righteous men. Oh my God, incline your ears and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations and the city which is called by your name. For we do not present our supplications before you because of our righteous deeds, but because of your great mercies. Because I am coming to you on your mercy, not on my righteousness. That's how he prays. The legalist prays to himself. Then we know in Luke 18 and verse 30, the tax collector, that is a repentant or sorrowful sinner. And the tax collector standing far off. Okay, look at him. He's very far. He won't even go close. Because he's broken over his sin. Standing far off would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven. But he bit his breast saying, God be merciful to me, a sinner. This is the third set of people. Who are these? These are the repentant, sorrowful sinner. Though he was far off, people are looking at him. And the legalist points at him too, he's far off. But Psalm 34 verse 18 says, 34.18 The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart. Though he is far off, God is very close. And Jesus says he went home justified. Though he is far off, yet God is close because he is broken. So the third type of people who pray are the repentant, sorrowful people. Please understand, everybody prays. Everybody's prayer is not heard. The sinner prays, his prayer is not heard because he is not worried about his sin. The Pharisee or the legalist prays, but he is praying to himself, he is not praying to God. That's why he never waits for an answer or anything. He prays and he goes away. Amen. That's it. I have done my duty. doesn't matter to me whether you have heard me or not. And the third set of people who pray, okay, it is the repentant sorrowful. Then if you know in Luke chapter 18 and verse 1. 
I'm just looking at one, but we'll. He spoke a parable to them that men ought to always pray and not lose heart. And the context he uses is the widow who prays. Okay, fourth category, I would call it the widow who prays. Okay. Revelation 5 8. Now, when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each having a harp and a golden bowl full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. So, the fifth category are the saints who pray. The saints who pray. Okay? There are saints who pray. Then you have James 5 and verse 16. Confess your trespasses to one another, pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails watch. Who is this sixth category? The righteous man who prays fervently and effectively. The righteous man. Saints who pray, the righteous man who prays. And then of course, you have in Hebrews 7.25 and Romans 8.34, Jesus who prays. Okay. Jesus who prays, he indeed. Therefore he is able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always loves to make intercession for them. So you have seven kinds of prayers. You have issue broadly divided. I will look at one and then we will stop. Turn with me to Luke chapter 18, verses 1 to 8. Luke 18. Verses 1 to 8. He spoke a parable to them that men ought to always, always to, ought to pray and not lose heart. Saying there was a certain city, a judge who did not fear God nor regard man. Now there was a widow in that city and she came to him saying, get justice for me from my adversary. He would not for a while, but afterward he said to himself, though I do not fear God nor regard man, yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. Then the Lord said, hear what the unjust judge said. Shall not God not avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him? How do the elect cry? Day and night. They don't relax in their prayer life. Though he bears long with them. And verse 8. I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find, what does he mean, that kind of faith on earth? Will he really find that kind of people? Who pray day and night? Asking for righteousness, for justice, for what is happening on earth? Let's look at this. This is what he's talking about, an enduring, persevering, all-consuming prayer, focused. Verse 3. <coughs> okay. To buttress this point that man should always pray and not faint, he brings in a widow. Okay, that's how Jesus builds his arguments so that we can work on it. He gives us the problem. We are supposed to work on the solution. Okay. That can be a man or a woman or anything, but he's using the term widow. Okay. So who is a widow? A woman, generally in scripture, and we know it's true, is a weaker person, weaker vessel. First, when she grows up, she is entirely dependent upon her father. Then she is married off. She is dependent upon her husband. And then her husband dies. She has neither father nor husband. So who is a widow? A widow is a nobody. 
no family, no father, no husband. She is the most vulnerable in this society. Two categories God always puts across as the most vulnerable, the widows and the orphans. Okay? In James chapter 1 and verse 17, he says, the purest form of religion, if you ever want to know, is this. Every, uh, no. No, 170. I went to two. It's two you. Did I give you one? Yeah. Go to the next one. Next verse. Yeah, yeah. Is there itself? 27, right? What? Pardon? Yeah, that one became, two became one. Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep one. Okay, look at that part. God says this is pure religion for the Father. You take care of orphans, you take care of widows. Okay? Now that is general principle. A widow, why is a widow? Because a widow is a very vulnerable person. She has nobody to help her, to support her. But the Bible is very clear. There are two kinds of widows. First Timothy 5.6. So you have to be very careful. Don't put it the widow tag on everybody. He who, she who lives in pleasure is dead while she lives. That's the widow. She's dead while living. Don't help her. The other kind. First Timothy 5.5. 5. Okay? Very clearly, a widow. Now, she who is really widow, okay, meaning she has no relatives, 60 plus, no relatives, left alone, she has nobody, no family at all to take care of her. Now, she who is really a widow, left alone, trusts in God, continues in supplications and prayers, night and? So, God is talking about that category of widows. There's one category of widow God understands. Okay? Other categories, you have family, family should care, take care of. You are a widow who is living in pleasure, leave them alone. Because their mind is always on that. But there is a widow who has nobody. And what does she do? She is left alone. She trusts in God. Continues in supplications and prayers, night and day. Okay? So this is the widow Jesus is talking about. There is a widow. So we have to have a picture of a person who fits into this category. What is the state of a widow? Isaiah 54 and verse 4. Isaiah 54 and verse 4. Do not fear, for you will not be ashamed, neither be disgraced, for you will not be put to shame, for you will forget the shame of your youth and will not remember the reproach of your widowhood anymore. So what is a widow? Shame and reproach. Okay. In the end, all you know, for the, until Lord William Bentick abolished Sati, the widow had to die within her husband's pyre. And even today, there are many, many places they are out and they have to live like that. So it's a pitiable situation about a widow here. Okay. Initially, a widow may be overwhelmed by her own troubles that you see in Second Kings 4.1. The widow comes to Elisha and says, you are my husband, your servant. A certain woman of the wives of the son of the prophets cried out to Elisha saying, Your servant, my husband is dead. You know that your servant feared the Lord and the creditor is coming to take my two sons to be slaves. So the widow is moved by something that is connected to her. Okay? Connected to her. But the widow has to move to the next level. First Timothy chapter 5. 
9 and 10. 9 and 10. Do not let a widow under 60 years old be taken into the number, and not unless she has been the wife of one man. Well reported for good works, if she has brought up her children, if she has lost strangers, if she has washed the saints' feet, if she has relieved the afflicted, if she has diligently followed every good work. You put this in, most of our um, old age homes will be empty. You know how tough the Bible is? Tough the Bible is. Because the first trouble began in the book of Acts over widows. So all these widows fit this category. Or maybe this category was added to see that you don't put everybody into the widow category. So this is, the Bible talks about a widow. The category of a widow. So widow is a picture of somebody who is helpless, shame, reproach. And you turn to Luke 18 and verse 7. Shall not God avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him, though he bears long with them? So God's elect are like this. God's elect are like this. Joseph, Daniel, David, and all you look in their lives, they were spiritual widows. They went through shame. They went through reproach. And I believe they cried out to God day and night. Nobody saw that. So we are talking about prayer, different kinds of prayer. And we are just looking at one prayer, the prayer of a widow. We look at how all these people were exalted. But we don't realize about their prayer life. So God says to that widow in Isaiah 54 verses 5 to 7, to her God says, For me, your maker is your husband. The Lord of hosts is his name and your redeemer is the Holy One of Israel. He is called the God of the whole earth. For God has called you like a woman forsaken and grieved in spirit, like a youthful wife when you were refused, says your Lord. For a mere moment I have forsaken you. With great mercies I will gather. Okay. So there is the spiritual state of the widow. There is a cry that is going day and night. Day and night. And then God says, you know what? With great mercies I will gather you. So when you are looking at prayer as a weapon, you look at different kinds of prayers and different kinds of praying people. There is a picture for everybody in the Bible. And when you have one picture here, that is a prayer warrior. It's a prayer warrior. This is a widow who will bring justice on earth. That is a church that will bring justice on earth. And about that church, God is able to say, I am your husband. I am your maker. And I am zealous for you. As we close. Luke chapter 2, 36 to 38. That's what I said, unless we see everything from the perspective of realm 3. Now there was one Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was of great age and had lived with her husband seven years from her virginity, meaning she was married seven years. And this woman was a widow of about 84 years. Either she was 84 years old or she had been a widow for 84 years. Okay, Who did not depart from the temple 
but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. You see that? 84 years. If she imagines she's a widow for 84 years. And she's a woman. She's the weakest of weak in the temple. The woman is allowed to do nothing in the temple. So they have some corner over there for the widows to live in. She's living on the charity of whatever is left over over there. She cannot partake in anything that happens in the temple. That's all for the men and the Levites and the Pharisees and all of them are doing everything. And here is she living there, 84. But what does the Bible say? She did not depart from the temple. She had nothing to do with the world. She was dead to the world. She did not live for pleasure. She lived for the Lord. She was cut away from the world. And she was not worried about how much food they gave because she lived most of the time fasting. With fastings and prayers. How? Night and day. She was a prayer warrior. Absolute. The devil was probably petrified of her. Not so much because she was an old covenant believer. If she had been a new covenant believer, he would have trembled before her. And scripture says, coming in that instant, she gave thanks to the Lord. She recognized Jesus. She recognized the baby and know this is the Lord. And spoke of him to all those who look for the redemption in Jerusalem. Like Simeon, an old man, here is a widow, to all the people were there, pointing and says, that baby is a redemption of God. To see a widow's prayer, widow's heart, a widow's spirit. So God is talking about, this is the church has to realize. We are talking about spiritual realities. Otherwise, this is just if every church has all that, what we call, even we have. What do we have? We have all that format. But God is not looking at the format. God is looking at the spiritual reality. Format is good. We all need format. Because God did not say, Joe, go Moses and make a temple the way you like. No, he gave him a plan. We need to have plans. We need to have an order. We have to have. But the question is, the order is there. Outward order is there. That is the form. What about the substance? What about the substance? And it is substance God is looking for. And I truly believe during this season of lockdown around the world, God is raising up a set of people who will pray. And they are all spiritual widows. They are all spiritual. Widow in the term, we are using the term of, as a church, female. But they are men and women. They are spiritual widows. They share in the shame of Jesus Christ. They share in the reproach of Jesus Christ. So God is not ashamed to call them his own. That's what Hebrews 11 says. He's not ashamed. If they wanted, they could have gone back. They refused. Refused. 84 years she did not step out of the temple. She could have gone out and said, let me go for a walk like Dina went for a walk. Let me take, I'm so tired, let me stretch my legs. She didn't. She didn't. She didn't go out. Separated herself completely to the Lord. She did not go on vacation. She did not go anywhere. She did not visit her relatives. The Bible is so very clear. 84 years. She realized, you know what, my husband is dead. So he must have been one of the priests over there. That does, does not mean I have to go back to the world. My husband is dead, but let his priesthood live through me. But what I am allowed to do as a woman here, nothing. But there's one thing I can do. I can offer my body as a living sacrifice to the Lord. I will spend the rest of my life in fasting and prayer. You know what? Her husband, whom we do not know, his priesthood continued through her. And she was the true priest over there because she is able to recognize the Messiah when he comes. While all of them missed it. And Jesus is saying, this is my question. When the Son of Man comes, will you find faith like this? Really find faith like this. Watchmen on the towers, day and night. Preachers who are not sleeping. 
who love slumber, no, preachers who are watching everything that is coming in and trying to protect the souls of their sheep, saying, don't, don't listen to this, don't listen to this, don't listen, it is not true. It is not true. Watching day and night. And people, the rest, who are rising up and realize, hey, the soul of my children are at stake. The soul of another generation is at stake. They are going out into the world, to the schools and colleges and getting destroyed. This is a battle. And I cannot slacken in this battle. I need to be awake. I need to fight this out. Fight this out. Because like I said, we have made an idol of education. But that is exactly where they all get destroyed. Those are the places where they all get destroyed. But you cannot stop them from going. But you can fight for them. You can fight for them. And this is the battle to which a church is called. A church that battles in prayer. Amen. Amen. Let us pray. Father, this night once again we come to you, Lord. And I pray, I pray, I pray, Lord, as this message goes forth, you will touch the hearts of so many. I pray there will be clarity tonight, night, morning, whatever time people are watching around the world, that dear ones will hear from the Spirit of God, this is your call. This is what I have called you, saved you, and set you apart. You shall be in my temple like Anna the prophetess. Give your life over to fastings and in prayers. And I will tell you what to pray for. And you will be a mighty weapon in my hand. Mighty, mighty weapon in my hand. Do not fear the sickness in your body. Do not fear the weakness in your body because the Lord your God is your maker, is your husband and he will heal you. Do not worry about your past because he will cleanse you through the washing of the water of the word and make you blameless, without wrinkles, spotless so that he can give you to himself. Do not fear the lies. Do not believe the lies of the enemy. His lies are all crucified on the cross. He's a liar. It has no power. He has been disarmed. He has no power. Call his bluff. The youngest to the oldest, you can call his bluff. He has given you the authority of the word. He has given you the authority of his name. And he has given you his blood to use. You can and you should every day. Call his bluff. A church that arises knowing its power and its identity is in Christ and Christ alone. I pray, Father, I pray the spirit of prayer, supplication, intercession will fall upon the church, worldwide church of God everywhere. And especially our churches, GDC worldwide, it will fall. Men and women will arise. The world will see. Has. 1986, David Wilkerson had prophesied. Once the plague hits after that, the world will see the greatest awakening. And I pray, Father, let it be true. The greatest awakening earth has ever seen will come out of this plague because a set of people have risen to pray, to intercede. And souls will come in their waves into the kingdom of God. Because if there has to be a great falling away, your word also says there is going to be a great harvest too. 
Help us, Lord. Help us all to be partners in this great and final work of the Lord before He comes. To see this shut down through those eyes. That what the devil meant for harm, God will turn it around for good. So now, in the knowledge we have received, we come under the blood of Jesus and we take authority in the name of Jesus. <clears throat> we bind every power of darkness, every work of wickedness, every work of deception. We bind it in the name of Jesus. You said what we bind on earth will be bound in heaven. All their servants on the ground will hear nothing. They will receive nothing. They will be powerless. They will be blinded. They will be made deaf. And as the Philistines fought against each other, they will fight among themselves. They will fight among themselves. No harm will come near us. No harm will come near God's people. Nothing will come. Everyone, to the youngest who has been born today, to the oldest, we bring them under the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus. Protect them. You said, O oh Lord, you will be a wall of fire around Zion, O oh God. And I pray, surround them with your goodness, your glory and your fire. And let everyone be safe within those walls, O oh Lord. Protect, Lord, protect, protect. This death will pass over all of us. It will not come near us. We will emerge through this triumphant and even more attached to God, O oh Lord. Even more, even more, a closer and even more closer walk. At the end of the day, Father, my prayer is true intercessors will arise, O Lord. And the mothers in the church will learn how to balance their work and their prayer life, O Lord. They will realize and the children will know a different mother has risen in the house. A mother who prays and a mother who stands in the gap. And a mother who will cry out for the souls of their children and other children. That a generation will arise, it will be said, not that they did not know their God, but a generation who knew their God. And your word says, they who know their God will do great exploits. That's our prayer, Lord. Prepare a generation to serve you. Thank you. Thank you, Father. Thank you. We praise you. We worship you. We glorify you, Lord. Thank you, Father. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Rest and abide with each one of us. Amen and Amen.